episode um, 20 of Rainbow Pridecast. I'm your host, Danielle Dupuis, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Co-hosting with, with me today is... Uma Ribeiro, and I also use the pronouns she, her, hers. And today, we are joined by author Adiba Jagardar. Um, Adiba's young adult um, novel, The Henna Wars, was just released last month. Um, and we are so excited to have you, Adiva. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And my pronouns are she, her. Now, according to um, the, your website, you are a Bangladeshi and Irish writer who lives in Dublin, correct? Yeah, that's me. Uh, so how, how has it been living in Dublin um, during this uh, coronavirus? It's actually been pretty good because I think Ireland has had a really great response to the coronavirus. Um, so we're actually, um, we had like a four phase reopening plan and it actually got accelerated because things were going pretty well. So right now, like most things here are open and we're functioning pretty well. Um, we haven't had like a second wave of the virus yet. So we're pretty hopeful that we're going to be doing good. We're hoping to like reopen schools in September. Um, so we've just had like, we had a really great response. I, I think our government was really good at like, um, like enforcing lockdown pretty early on. Um, so, you know, I've been, I've obviously been stuck at home for like a really, really long time now, um, like most people, but I do think like being in Ireland during this has been really good for like my mental health, just because I do feel like our government has done such a good job of handling everything. Mm-hmm. I feel we've been pretty uh, lucky, uh, you know, living here in Maryland. Um, our governor was also very quick to shut things down and keep things in lockdown. So yeah. thankfully um, we are in the decline. So um, it's all looking pretty positive here. And hopefully the, uh, I don't know what school about school reopening though. That's very uneasy at this point. Um, we'll see what happens. That's great. Um, so yeah. Um, but I get you. It's a, uh, it's, it's a little stir crazy at times. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, Uma and I both read your book, um, but for people that have not read the book, could you just give like a little brief summary um, of The Henna Wars? Yeah, of course. So The Henna Wars is about Nishat, who is a Bangladeshi, she's Muslim, and she's a lesbian. Um, and she's dealing with the fallout of coming out to her parents while she's also navigating a crush on a girl who is culturally appropriating from her in a school competition where they're both running rival henna business. The book centers around um, Nishat, who from we kind of learn from the beginning of the book uh, that she's going to, we learn right away that she's going to come out to her family. So it's not like any big surprise, like giving that, giving that away. Um, the, the book, the book starts in, at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, what gave you that idea to kind of start it in a wedding scenario? So weddings are a really big part of Bangladeshi culture. Um, I always joke that when you think of, of Bangladeshi culture, you just think about like food and weddings. Um, and obviously the uh-huh. two things go together. Um, and it's a joke, but it's also kind of true. I think for most Bangladeshi people, um, like food really ties it together, ties us together. And so does weddings. Um, whenever I go to Bangladesh, I attend like so many weddings. It gets very, very tiring. Um, and I attend weddings of like people that I barely know a lot of the times as well. Um, so weddings are just like something that really centers our culture. It's um, something that a lot of people kind of think about a lot. Um, it's like 
a really important moment for anybody's life, I guess, in our culture. I think in all cultures, but especially in Bangladeshi cultures. Um, so I guess I was really thinking about being a queer person in the midst of all of that. What like what would they really be thinking? Because when you have a culture that kind of centers weddings and especially centers um, like heterosexual weddings, how does that kind of affect your own perception of that? And how does it how does it affect your perception of yourself and of love and the way that you are allowed to love? Um, because we see in the book that she or Nishat um, sees the wedding and she sees how her parents are really happy about it and she can see kind of their hopes and dreams for her and that's what kind of makes her decide well I need to come out to them and I need to kind of um I need them to kind of recognize that I can't give them what they are hoping from me and we need to kind of reconcile that so that was really why I started it at a wedding because it was important for me to um kind of grapple with how queer people um, are affected by this culture and the centering of weddings. I think that's a an interesting point. Um, just because as growing up, um, you know, that was something that was always kind of put on me as, you know, you may have a wedding, it's, you know, between a man and a woman, and it's a really big deal. And, you know, you put all this money and time into planning this like, two hour event, <laughs> you know, and then, um, but I never really saw myself you know, in getting married in the traditional sense of, oh, there's going to be, um, you know, I'm going to be wearing a long flowing white dress and um, we're going to have all these people. And do you think that, um, you know, that queer culture in general, um, you know, that, that we have different views of what a wedding looks like? like different from tradition and expectation? I think that in some ways we have to just because we don't really fit into the traditional idea of a wedding. And also, I guess, because for a long time um, and even now in a lot of places, queer people um, are not allowed to get married, um, at least like, you know, the people that they would want to get married to. So obviously, like marriage equality has been a really big issue in queer culture and queer spaces in many, many countries. And it still is an issue in many places. Um, so, you know, like it's it's a privilege that a lot of people see, um, not just weddings, but also uh, marriage. Um, and a lot of queer people don't have access to it still. So I think just by virtue of that, already um, queer people are going to view marriage and weddings in a really different way. Um, I'm always actually conscious of the way that a lot of um, like cis heterosexual people speak about marriage. Um, I think it's really, really different to the way that queer people do. I think they like really do like see it as um, just something that they're allowed to have. They'd never consider it as a privilege as a lot of queer people might. Um, so I think I do think queer people are always going to view marriage and weddings in a different way. Um, but I also think it's going to, it's going to differ bet like between cultures. Um, like I said, in Bangladesh, weddings are just like this really, really big deal. So I don't, I don't think like queer Bangladeshi people are ever going to look at weddings or marriage and think, I don't think I can do that traditionally. 
because it's such a huge part of our culture it's like filled with all of these traditions that are like that can be like annoying but they're also like super fun it's all about like family getting together um about like sharing all of these things um so it's like it can also be like so celebratory um so i do think like it depends between cultures how queer people might view weddings and marriage but i do think um we have to have a different view than our like cis um hetero appears i guess The main character of your book is Bengali and transplanted to Ireland. You are Bengali transplanted to Ireland. How much of yourself did you put into um, Nishat? Um, I think it's difficult to say that like quantifiably um, because obviously um, a lot of my experiences and my worldview just quite naturally went into the book and into Nishat as a character. Um, so consciously, I guess, um, not that much. I did think a lot about like the kind of experiences that I've had. And when I was a teen, um, and a lot of that went into creating Nishat as a character. Um, like Nishat as a character is very much reminiscent of um some things that I was as a teen and some things that I am now as an adult. Um, she's like a marriage between those two things. Um, so I think like there were a lot of things. Um, it wasn't always conscious, um, but it's not, uh, it's not like just me on paper, you know, there's also a lot of differences there. Um, so in the book, Nishat has a very close relationship with her younger sister, Priti. Um, do you have siblings? Because um, I felt that that relationship was very real. I personally have a younger sister and I saw um, a lot of characteristics of my younger sister in Priti, which was really um, fun to read. So do you have siblings or is a sister something you wish you had? I do have siblings. Yeah, I have um, an older brother and I have a younger sister. Um, And my younger sister is actually a lot younger than me. She's 10 years younger than me. So our relationship is really, really different than Nishat and Prilly's relationship, um, just because I was like almost an adult um, by the time she was like a teenager. I was an adult by the time she was a teenager, actually. Um, But I think um, my relationship with my siblings is on the whole, very, very different from Prithi and Nishat's. But I did grow up with a lot of cousins as well. And so I could see um, how different siblings interacted with each other. So I have cousins who are like um, always fighting with their siblings, cousins who are like like always protecting their siblings. Um, I've seen it all. I have a lot of cousins. I have like 20 or 30 first cousins. Um, oh my yeah, the Bangladeshi families are really, really big. Um, so I think Prithi and Nishat's relationship just came out of being able to see so many different dynamics and trying to figure out what kind of worked with these two characters. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I can definitely relate to having a lot of cousins. <laughs> Uh, Uma, did you uh, did you by chance share a little bit about your background? Oh, yeah. Well, so I just wanted to say when uh, Miss Dupree told me about this book, I was so excited to read it because I'm actually half Brazilian. And then my mom was born in the United States, but she is Indian. And that side of my family is from Bombay. 
Um, so I'm also part Guju. And so it really was like, it blew my mind when Mr. Queen was like, there is a girl in this book who's Brazilian and another girl who's Bangladeshi. And I was like, wow. So I'll be finally able to see myself represented in a book like I never have before. Um, so it was just wonderful to finally get my hands on a book where, you know, you know, Bangladeshi is obviously, you know, they have their differences in terms of um, Bangladeshi and Indian culture. But I found I saw myself represented in so many parts of Nishat and then even small interactions with Flavia. I was just living for it <laughs> because um, my mixture is, n- is never something that I see anywhere, not in media, um, not in TV and definitely not in books. So it was fi- it was finally great to, you know, get my hands on this wonderful book. I'm really glad to hear that. And yeah, I don't think I don't think I've ever met somebody who is like half Brazilian, um, half Indian. So I hope I hope that you can like read a book sometime in the near future where you can see like all of yourself represented because that would be great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it definitely was just very eye opening, and I was just so excited, um, especially when Miss Dupuis also told me that henna was a big part of it. And funnily enough, when um, she told me about henna, the first thing I thought of was a wedding. And she was like, oh, it actually starts with a wedding. And I just I thought it was all so awesome. <laughs> Hopefully Uma will be writing her own book to represent herself. That would be I, awesome yes, too. Yes, that is the hopeful, hopefully the plan, but who knows? <laughs> I can't, well, I can't wait if you do write a book. I can't wait to read it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm just curious. Now we, uh, you know, I teach in, at and um, Uma attends a very diverse school in Maryland. Um, and I noticed that in your book, you describe a lot of different cultures at the school where Nishat attends. Um, is this typical for schools of Ireland to contain students with such a variety of cultural backgrounds? It really depends. Um, so when I first moved to Ireland um, back in 2003, I moved to a little town um, called Tullamore. Um, and there wasn't a lot of diversity. Um, so for a lot of people there, it was like, it was a, I was the first brown person that they had ever seen in their life. Um, so there was a lot of like exotifying there. Um, and obviously I was dealing with like culture shock because I was only 10 years old. Um, so that was a really interesting experience. And then I moved to Dublin um, just a year later. And in Dublin, um, the school that I went to was really, really diverse. So I had a lot of friends from all over the world. Um, And every year we would get like a lot of new students um, starting, but also transferring from other schools who were also really diverse. Our school was actually so diverse that like when when um, I got to my final year of school and I could be a prefect, I was the international prefect, which meant that um, I basically helped. Um, new students coming from outside of Ireland to like settle into Ireland and settle into the new school Um, and that was a really great experience also a great way to like meet people from lots of different cultures and speak to them Um, but outside of my school there actually wasn't a lot of diversity in other schools so it really depends on a lot of things I'm not sure why my school was so diverse but I know that my brother's school um, which is only like 10 minutes away from mine um, by driving um, was not even close to as diverse as mine I think he only had like two or three people of color in his year whereas in my school like I had probably 10 people of color just like in my class 
or maybe not just in my class, but probably in my year. Um, so it really depends on a lot of things. Um, my school has always been very diverse, I think. Um, and a lot of other schools in Dublin would not have been as diverse at that time. Um, but now my sister actually attends the same school as me. And according to her, um, it's not as diverse as, as it was when I was attending. So I'm not sure what has changed mm. there. Um, might be just like demographics and stuff um, in the country itself. Um, but yeah, it just, it depends on a lot of things. And as I'm sure it does um, over there as well, like different areas and different schools um, really affect like the demographics of students attending. Yeah, definitely. Now, the other main character of your story, uh, Flavia, um, who's Brazilian, seesaws back and forth between a character that I feel like most readers like and then don't like and then like and then don't like. Um, what inspired you to write her the way you did? Um, so she was really inspired by um, a lot of my friends and a lot of my students. Um, so I am an ESL teacher, so I have a lot of Brazilian students. Um, we have a really large population of Brazilian people in Ireland right now. Um, so I've met like a lot of Brazilian people. Most of my close friends are Brazilian. Um, so that was why I guess I kind of decided to create this character because I knew that um, like Brazil and Brazilian culture is something that is close to my heart. It's something that I know or I have like a little bit of insight into. Um, so I thought that would be like a cool character to create. And when I was thinking about the whole cultural appropriation aspect, um, I didn't want to just write a character who was white and Irish because I think um, that would create power dynamics between the two characters that would be hard to reconcile into a happy ending, at least for me. Um, so creating a character who was mixed race and who was struggling with her identity and who was really figuring a lot of things out made sense for me in terms of the power dynamics. Um, and I guess in terms of her like going back and forth and um, like dealing with all this stuff, it just came from like me trying to understand cultural appropriation and how cultural appropriation might work between these two characters because it is like a really I guess complex issue and I don't think there's um, a straightforward answer especially when you when you have um, two characters with really different backgrounds and they're coming to something like henna which is also um you know, it's, it's practiced in a lot of different cultures in different ways. People have really different relationships to it. So I just wanted to um, let the characters explore it in a way that worked for their characters and for their backgrounds. And that's like the back and forth, I guess, is just something that worked out um, in terms of that. I really liked um, the aspects um, of, you know, exploring cultural appropriation, especially between, you know, two people of color, because I feel like there can often be like this misconception that you know people of color can't appropriate each other's culture which is actually not true so I really I found it very refreshing to see that thank you yeah um I, I think it was like a it was a struggle to kind of um write it as well because 
I had to ask myself a lot of questions about what are the power dynamics here and does it actually make sense um, that Flavia is appropriating from Nishat's culture? Um, because I think like it was really important to kind of think about what is Flavia's relationship to her own culture and what is her relation mm-hmm. to like whiteness in that space as well. Um, and I, I'm really lucky because I have a lot like a really diverse group of friends from all over the world. I got to have a, a lot of really great conversations about cultural appropriation and like speak to all of these people who had different views and just gather that all together in order to write the book. That's really cool. That's really interesting. Now you cover a lot of issues in the book. So there's uh, mm-hmm. coming out, um, being outed at school, um, racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation. Um, I think you weave them all together really beautifully um but my question is was your editor cool with all of that or did they try to like encourage you to remove some of it no my editor was like super cool with all of it um like I have a fantastic editor and I think she just really gets what I'm trying to do um and she's just really cool um and she like I th- I feel like she's like a person that I can go to with questions about this stuff as well and we can have like a discussion about it um which is really which is really great it's like something you want in an editor she's very aware of a lot of these things so it's great to have somebody like that to be able to bounce ideas off of um she never asked me to like make the book any less than what it is um, and she actually, she encouraged me, I guess, to like make it even more queer in a lot of spaces. Um, she just made the book like so much better because um, most of it was already there. And she just kind of took it and said, you know, how can we um, make this a book that is even stronger um, without removing all of the stuff that is at the heart of the book? And, you know, together we managed to do that. Um, so, yeah, she's like she's a great editor and I never had any issues in the editing process. That's fantastic. Um, it's nice when you can find somebody that's supportive. Uh, I follow a lot of um, different authors and uh, agents on Twitter, and uh, it's kind of disheartening to see how many, you know, are like leaving their agencies and a lot of pushback over, um, you know, various issues. So it's nice when you can be seen and heard and write the story that you wanted to write. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of issues um, like in the publishing industry with editors and agents. Um, but thankfully, it's something that I haven't come come across still. Um, even my agent, he's been really, really great. Um, and one of the first things he said to me when we first spoke on the phone was, um, I love that your book is so unapologetically Bengali, um, which made me really happy because I was always afraid that that was what would make an agent say, no, I don't actually want to represent your book. Um, so, you know, my agent, editor, they've all been great. Um, I feel like I've had a really great experience in this industry so far, and I'm really grateful for that. That's awesome. Um, now you dedicated your book to, uh, queer brown girls. Um, I always love reading the dedications to, uh, see what people uh, have to say, but what, what kind of books did you read growing up? Um, was there a particular author that you felt spoke to you? I read a lot of books as I was growing up, but nothing that really represented me. 
Um, I read a lot of like Mechabot books. That was like my introduction to romance. Um, like the Princess Diaries, the Mediator series. Mm-hmm. I loved reading those books. Yeah, Mechabot. Um, I loved reading her books. Um, I think the first book by a person of color that I read was um, Knots and Crosses by Mallory Blackman. Um, I don't. Yes. Oh my god, I love that book so much. <laughs> I, I'm glad because, um, like, a lot of people don't actually know about that book outside of like Ireland and the UK. Um, which is really? yeah like it because it had such a huge cultural impact here but I feel like it hasn't had as big a, a cultural impact in other places um, like a lot of American people that I speak to and I say knots and crosses they're like oh I've never heard of that book before um, yeah which... I haven't read that wait sorry to interrupt um what who's the author I, I should read that is her name's Mallory Blackman mm-hmm. oh I never heard of that book yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, it is. No, it is amazing. Yeah. It's kind of like, I would say it's like a, it's like a modern, futuristic, like, Romeo and Juliet, but not like, not like sci-fi, like crazy sci-fi futuristic, but um, in where role, there's like a, a definite uh, role reversal as far as race is concerned. So like, oh, cool. you're thinking like you're reading the book one way and then you're like, holy crap and it's like you know it just like blows your mind and it's really really well done yeah and what I really like about those books is that like Mallory Blackman really understands like the history of race so um I feel like if um like I I don't know if any other author could have handled this book the way that she did because she just the way that she reversed the roles um you could tell that she really understood um, like the history of blackness in like America because obviously like a lot of the stuff that she um, was kind of subverting was American racism um, it was just amazing like the way that she did it um, but it was like it was the first book by a person of color that I ever read and it it blew my mind especially because um, I like I'd never read about um, like a, a character of color and a character of color who was like described as such so starkly because obviously because the book is about like race relations um she does like say that like this character is white this character is black um and I'd never read that in a book before and I think I was like 13 or 14 when I read the book um and after that I can't remember um any other books by people of color that I read um, because there really weren't any when I was a teen. Um, there was just Mechabot, who was the big one. Um, and then maybe like Melinda Lowe, when I was like 17 or 18, she published Ash. Um, but it was definitely like something that was really missing um, from my childhood. Um, so that was one of the reasons why I did dedicate this book, I guess, to queer brown girls, because I think we don't really have books that represent us um, and we haven't had them for a really, really long time. So I just wanted like I just wanted want brown, queer brown girls to pick up, you know, the Hannah Wars and see like this could be a book that might represent them that can speak to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. As like a brown girl myself, I definitely, you know, could relate to many aspects of the book. So I'm really thankful for that. Thank you. I'm really glad to hear that. So you mentioned that in the book, Knots and Crosses, that I know we're kind of like, you know, going off here on a little side note, but um, that it was like the first time that you had read 
a book that kind of specifically described like blackness and whiteness um, in characters, um, which kind of brings me back to my own formal education in being a media specialist. And I remember like one of the things like rewind, you know, you know, I've been doing this for a little while, but uh, rewind a couple of decades. And um, I remember one of the, the things that we had talked about in, you know, various classes was that, um, that it was important for people to be able to see themselves in literature and that when you label, you know, characters or make them, you know, appear a, a certain color or culture that somebody couldn't actually see themselves as that character. And I feel like it was such backwards teaching at that point in time because you do want to see yourself in literature and you want to appreciate other people that you see in literature mm -hmm. and how else are you going to do that unless you know more about them their culture you know their gender identity like you know what I mean like it's mm -hmm. just I don't know it just made me think about that for a minute <laughs> I think um, I think that's still like um an opinion that a lot of people have because it's this idea that we need to make books universal and the way to do that is not to attribute um, any of these, like, I guess, physical qualities to them. Um, but of course, when we do that, people just jump to the default, which is that this is a character who is straight, white, um, cis, etc. Um, but I think we see that with, um, there were statistics released about, like, um, U.S. publishing recently, um, which was basically that there have been more books um, uh, published about animals um, than books about people of color combined in the year 2019, I believe. Oh, my um, gosh. So, and, like, one of the reasons for that is because people see, like, oh, like, books about animals, it can be universal, um, but books about people of color, like, it's not universal. It's just for people of color. Um, so I think it's still an attitude that is very like prevalent. Maybe um, people aren't like saying it as starkly, but a lot of people definitely still believe it. Yeah, it is very interesting. And, um, you know, I always, I don't know if you do this or not when you look at books, but to me, I find it very important when I read a book that if I'm reading about somebody that is, uh, you know, about a character that's queer or a character that is black, when I flip back and I look at that author at the back of the book, like on the inside of the dust jacket, like, I hope to goodness that I'm going to find an author that is either black or queer or whoever it is that they're like majorly writing about, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I just... I don't know. I find it frustrating sometimes. And then I think to myself, well, is that wrong of me? Like, does that mean that as a white person, I can't write as a white, you know, LGBTQ person, like I can't write a character of color that's straight. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's, I, mean, uh, I feel like it's definitely a fine line. I think like there's a difference in terms of like reading and writing because like it can be very difficult, um, of course, to, you know, like write about perspectives that you not like that you don't know really much about but 
I think that like it's a matter of authenticity, um, which is also why I sometimes do the same Miss Dupuis where I like will just look at the back to make sure like if I'm reading about um, a culture I'm not too familiar with or even um, reading a book specifically to try to see part of myself rep- represented or maybe my friends represented, I, I kind of do look for that. But I think that there can be, it is a fine line. I don't even know where I'm going with this. <laughs> it really is a fine line, but it really is interesting. I think um, the thing is that it's about like systematic racism, right? Or systematic um, homophobia, which is that um, like the systems keep people of color from publishing books about themselves and the systems. Um, I, I think that with with um, queer people, it's a little bit more complicated because I guess it's like uh, most of the time it's like an invisible marginalization and you know people might not always feel comfortable coming out so I do think it's a little bit more complicated when we get to that um but speaking like about people of color um I think it is about like systems so for me I try to be very deliberate about what I am reading um right now I majorly read books by people of color um whether they're writing about people of color or not I try to support people of color writing um but I mean, there was also, sorry, I'm just bringing in statistics, but there was like a study done quite recently um, to look at the discrepancy of books written about people of color versus books written by people of color. Um, so mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly the numbers on that, but I do remember seeing that um, the large majority of the books written about Black people were not written by Black people. So I think the books written by Black people were like 49% and the rest of them, or 46%, sorry, and the rest of them were not written by Black people. So um, I think that shows like the disparity in the system, which is that, you know, maybe white authors are being given the the opportunities to write about um, a race that they... Um, whether they can write it well or not, I think that's another discussion. But if we're not giving Black people a seat at the table, then that's the problem that I'm worried about first. Um, so I think, you know, if we can have that conversation about can um, somebody who is, you know, white and straight, can they write a book about like a queer person of color and can they do it well? Maybe if they have the resources, yes, they can. But are they going to be given the opportunity to write that before um, a queer person of color? And looking at the statistics and looking at the system, the answer is yes. And that's the problem that we need to fix first. Yeah, and and I definitely think that, um, you know, like, for instance, like when you wrote about Flavia, you said you have a lot of Brazilian friends. And I feel like, like you said, resources can really help. And I think another worry... Um, another worry that I have is that, you know, white people who are trying to, um, you know, educate themselves about, you know, people of color and, and um, read more books about people of color. The fact that there are so many books written about people of color by white people is, and then it kind of feeds, like, it, it just, it's a, it's kind of like a vicious cycle, because, you know, um, whether or not, you know, they do it well, like you said, is another discussion. But, um like hypothetically, if a white person were to go and read a book written by written by a white author about people of color, then they might, you know, develop more misconceptions about people of color. Yeah, definitely. I think that's another issue there as well. Um, and I think because white people have been writing people of color for so long, because um, people of color have been like left out of the conversation, um, we really started kind of diversifying 
um, kidlet anyway, um, with um, the birth or the the discovery of or the creation of sorry, um, we need diverse books, which was I think in 2015. So it's very very recent that we really started um, allowing people of color a very small seat at the table. Um, but you know until then a lot of the times why people were writing people of color so that's kind of like the blueprint um and it's a blueprint by people who don't who don't actually understand what it is like to be from these cultures um to be like black or to be south asian um but they have still been allowed to write that blueprint i think it's also really really difficult to get into the publishing industry if you are um a new author or person of color or queer just because of the fact that publishing industries can only publish so many books per year. And if you have, let's say, you know, six best-selling authors already that, you know, that you, you publish and let's say they're all going to come out with books this next year. Well, that's over half your spots are gone. So that's only allowing a certain number of people to even get published to begin with. Um, so I think it's a lot of the like the more prolific authors kind of take over, um, which then in turn doesn't allow, you know, new people that have a lot of value as well to kind of get into the industry. So I really like to read, you know, new authors like yourself, um, get new perspective and you know, see those new ideas out there, which is really awesome. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's sometimes lacking in literature is character development, um, which is something that I think you did really, really well in your book. Um, I was actually surprised by how much I actually cared about not just your focal character, but all of the other characters from Nishat's sister and parents to her many friends at school, um, and even to the teacher who's only in a few scenes. How did you manage to pull that off? Because uh, I feel like that's a really, really tricky thing to do. I think um, when I was writing these characters, I was just trying to make them as fleshed out as I could. I was trying to give them um, like as full lives as I could, I guess, and trying to make them um, sympathetic, even if, um, you know, they were like an antagonist, I guess. Um so like even with a character like China, for example, who is the antagonist of the novel, I was trying to find a little bit of balance in how in how she was portrayed. So she wasn't just, you know, the evil mean girl. Um, there were other aspects of her life that were important and that Nishad got to have a little bit of insight into. Um, and I think that's like the pivotal thing about um, making your characters uh, feel like human beings, just um, giving them all of these different nuances that make them feel like real characters and that can hopefully um, help readers um, sympathize with them. Um, so that brings me to my next question. So um, which part of the book was your favorite to write and which, which was the most difficult to write? So my favorite part of the book to write was probably um, towards the beginning um, at the scene with the wedding. Um, I think there are two chapters um, that stretch the length of the actual wedding itself. Um, and I really liked writing those scenes because 
as I said before, weddings are this big part of Bangladeshi culture. And even though, you know, a lot of people might have a fraught relationship with weddings, um, I know I definitely do. Um, they're also like a space um, that feels very cultural and very traditional. And that is very like celebratory. Um, it's like a time of family. It's a time of all of these really um, fun, like traditions. Um, it's a time of like food, which is awesome. I love describing like Bengali food um, because Bengali food is great. Um, so, you know, I got to do all of that during those wedding scenes. Um, and I got to like talk about like those Bollywood moments that people have. Um, I got to kind of think about Bollywood movies that I'd watched and think about how Nishath might um, think of romance because of them. Um, so th those were really fun scenes to write. Um, difficult scenes to write... I think probably um, the scenes where Nishat was kind of dealing with homophobia or racism or Islamophobia, um, just because it's obviously a very difficult thing to face those things, um, especially in the way that Nishat does in the book. Um, and so much of it is really familiar to me because, um, you know, I've experienced all of those things in my life. Um, so it was like difficult to kind of, um, consider how Nishat might be affected by it, how Nishat might react to it and the stuff that she has to go through. Um, so like having to kind of unpack that, having to um, really like dive deep into that, that can be like really like emotionally difficult, I guess. Um, so those were difficult scenes to write. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, having to, you know, kind of, face uh instances of like um racism again um for the book but yeah I definitely saw um a lot of representation even in small interactions okay so um like I said before uh, being part Brazilian myself I loved to see the interaction between Flavia and Germana Portuguese um it felt really familiar and I was like grinning the whole time I was reading it um did you know you wanted language to be uh, a part of many integral inter integral interactions in the book when you first started writing yeah, I did, because language is so important to me as a person. Um, like, ju so just a bit of history on Bangladesh, um, because language is so important for Bangladeshi people. Um, when I was growing up, my parents always told me that Bangladesh is the only country in the world um, where people died for the right to speak our language, because um, we had a language movement um, we used to be a part of Pakistan. We were East Pakistan and Pakistan now was um, West Pakistan. And um, basically we were um, not allowed to speak our language or there were like a lot of issues with speaking our language, speaking Bengali. Um, so we had an entire language movement where people were fighting and marching for the right to speak Bengali. Um, and eventually that led to like our war of independence. And then we became Bangladesh, um, which literally translates to country of uh, Bangla, which is, you know, the language that we speak, Bengali. Um, so, you know, language has always been a big part of who I am. Um, it, it is a really, really big part of Bengali culture. Um, just because we have this history, we understand what it means um, for people to say you cannot speak your language. Um, so even though, you know, my Bengali is really, really rusty right now um, because I, I've like spent so long in Ireland and I haven't studied Bengali for a long time, it is a really important part of my culture. It's a really important part of who I am. So I knew that um, writing this book, I would have to 
um, I would have to represent languages, not just my language, but other languages. Um, I was really lucky to grow up in a culture where like I heard so many different languages growing up. I was obviously speaking Bengali and English, but I was also watching like movies in Hindi and Urdu. Um, and then after coming to Ireland, uh, meeting so many people from different cultures, I got to experience their languages and see how important language was for them. Um, and I got also got to see like Irish as a language, um, like Irish as a, as a language has a really um, different and interesting history um, from Bengali. Um, so I'm just really aware of, you know, how important language is to cultures, how important language can be to people and how people have really different histories of it. So I just wanted to represent that in the book. Um, and I want to represent that in really all my writing. Um, and I know like Portuguese is really important to um, Brazilian speakers and specifically like Brazilian Portuguese, because I know it's different from like Portuguese that um, people from Portugal speak. Um, so it was really important for me to like represent that and for it to even kind of be like an inside joke, I guess for like Brazilian people reading the book. Um, so I don't speak yeah. any Portuguese <laughs> and I like, for me reading that book, like if I can't remember exactly what I wrote in English, I don't even understand what I've written in that section because I'm not a Portuguese speaker. Um, I help, like I asked my Brazilian friends to help me with that scene. So I'm really glad that, you know, for you as a Brazilian person that you could read that section and you could feel like included and you could see like a part of yourself represented. Um, because I hope that, you know, Bengali readers can also get that from parts in Bengali in my books. Um, and I'm glad that, yeah. um, Brazilian readers can get that as well here. Yeah, um, that was just, it was really awesome to read, actually. I called my dad, I was like, come over here, you have to see this interaction <laughs> in the book. And we were just kind of nerding out about it. Um, um, this is kind of just from my own curiosity, but I, I love how you included some terms of endearment in Bengali between sisters. Um, like I said before, I am part of Gujarati, and I have a little sister myself, so we like often refer to each other as big sister and little sister in Hindi. Um, so Priti often refers to Nishat as Apujan throughout the novel. Is um, I hope I'm saying it right, but is Apujan a term for older sisters? Yeah, so there's like a lot of terms for like older sister in Bengali. Um, my little sister calls me Api, um, which is another Aww. term of endearment. Um, but yeah, like in Bengali culture, usually um, you would call like your older siblings. Um, we don't have a term for like younger ones, but you would call your older siblings um, some term of endearment. Um, and you would do it also like for your cousins and stuff and like older friends. Um, it's kind of dying out now, which I don't really like. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely something that's very prevalent in Bengali culture. Yeah. Yeah, I love seeing that. Um, you know, I call my sister Nani Ben, and then she doesn't like to do it anymore. But I'll be like, you have to still call me Didi, even though you're getting older. <laughs> yeah, we we have that as well with like my cousins and stuff. Um, like sometimes my cousins who are like maybe a year younger than me, they won't call me like a term of endearment, and then I'll say to them yeah. like, I'm a year younger, like I'm a year older than you. You have to call me that. You have to. Yeah, <laughs> I still call all my you know my cousins Masi. 
um, because it's just, I feel like it's just sweet and it really just does add to the feeling of, you know, family and just warmth. And so, yeah, and even in Portuguese, there's that too, like I'll call my sister Mania, which works for like all sisters. You can just call each other that. But I really like how in specifically like in Bengali or Hindi, there are like specific words for little sister and then an older sister. Mm-hmm. And Api is yeah, so I love that. cute. I love that. That is so cute. <laughs> Okay, so um, as a brown girl myself, um, it was so refreshing to see culture portrayed so beautifully and naturally and in a very relatable way in your book. Um, I especially found the friendship between Nishat, Chewan, and Jess to be very real. I especially related to the scenes in which uh, Nishat is trying to explain cultural appropriation to Jess and she does not try and understand. Um, and the scene in the beginning in which Nishat and Chewan lock eyes and share kind of a moment in which they are both like, um, in which they both tell each other, you know, the money they could win from the business competition could not pay for trips to Bangladesh or Korea <laughs> and kind of left um, just out of the loop there. I really like that um, just because it really did feel relatable how you can kind of lock eyes with your friends who are, you know, um, either, you know, who have immigrant parents or who are people of color and kind of be like, yeah, uh, how do we explain this? Um, so are those interactions based on real ones you have had with friends? Um, not specifically, but, um, I do think that they are inspired by real life events. Um, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't right now remember like a specific instance where something like that has happened, but I'm sure that they have. Um, and I'm sure that my um, friends have had them as well. Um, I do think it was drawn from real life, but I can't remember like the specific instances. Um, but like, I think. The, these experiences are very are very commonplace I've had like I feel like almost every week I have this experience where I'm trying to explain something um, about race or culture to a white person and um, I come up against a wall and it's very very difficult to do it um, yeah. and you know now I'm much better at dealing with it than I was when I was a teenager um, but it's definitely something that I think people of color face very very frequently um, and the same with like meeting with someone being like like you know you get me but this other person doesn't (laughs) I think it's a very common experience yeah I really loved it it can really be difficult to try to explain things but I think like even just like silent communication sometimes can it's nice to even see that in books and stuff so that was a really um those were some cool interactions and I also really liked how you know later um just kind of did come forward and they did kind of talk about it further a little bit so I really liked how um, you touched on that all also um, uh, you you uh, also write for book riot and have been featured in a couple of short story collections uh, what inspired you to begin writing um so I've always been a writer um I don't really remember a time when I wasn't writing or when I wasn't like storytelling I guess before I could actually um, physically right. Um, Bengali culture um, really loves the idea of storytelling. Literature is a really important part of our culture. And it's the same in Irish culture. Um, if you come to Dublin and you like walk around the streets, you can see like famous poets, um, statues, um, bridges named after playwrights and things like that. Oh, wow. So I think just um, growing up in these two cultures have really kind of enabled me to explore that part of myself. Um, it's never something that I've kind of been told, like, no, don't do it. Um, people have always, like, encouraged this in me, um, if not professionally, but they have, like, encouraged me to, like, explore that as, like, a hobby. 
Um, so, you know, I'm really grateful for the fact that I grew up in these two cultures um, because like they really do value storytelling and writing and literature. What are your plans for the future? Is there another book in the works? Yes, um, I have a second novel coming in. I think it's currently scheduled for May 2021. Um, oh wow! Ooh. Ooh, Donna already. Yay. Yeah, I'm actually like I'm just finishing up like revising it and sending it off, um, which is really oh, great. Wow. Um, and it is it is another rom com, um, and it's about um, these two girls. One of them is Bangladeshi Bengali, um, and one of them is Indian Bengali. Um, and one of them wants to be head girl. One of them wants to be accepted by her friends, and to get what they want, they have to fake date. Oh, cool. Ooh, that sounds that sounds intriguing. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, will you, do you think you'll ever be coming to the U.S. on tour? I mean, once Corona is over? Um, hopefully. I, I guess we'll see. Um, I would love to. Um, but who knows when this corona will end and you know things will will get to a place where um we're able to have tours and festivals again yeah well if you do come to maryland or even the east coast just let us know we'd love to take you out for a tea or latte at starbucks yes that would be so fun <laughs> i'll definitely let you know i just wanted to say that i just love i really love the book and i think that lot of the scenes um I also you know found myself like laughing out loud like when uh, <laughs> um toward the end especially when um Amul and Abu are like what are we gonna feed her and <laughs> are like scrambling I also really like the them pronouncing Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> um that I found that really funny also and yeah I just I, I really I really like the book Thank you. And I'm really glad you said that you were laughing out loud because I, you know, I've been told all the time when I was growing up that I'm not funny. Um, so I'm glad that people do think I'm funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I found myself just, you know, giggling at certain parts and, and like laughing out loud. And yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, we really enjoyed having you on the podcast. And um, we hope that everybody will check out your book, The Henna Wars. Yes. And, um, you know, hopefully next time you can be talking about your second book. It'd be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great speaking to both of you. To learn more about Adiva, her book, The Henna Wars, and to read more about We Need Diverse Books, Check out the information on our website at www.rainbowpridecast.com. Also, do you have an idea for an episode for the Rainbow Pridecast? Or maybe you'd like to be a guest host on the show? Let us know by completing one of the forms located on our website at www.rainbowpridecast.com. We look forward to hearing from you. The music featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license.